My Get Up and Go on SAFM. Influential people doing well in their respective fields. Absolutely, they do a whole lot of great things. And one of them is the one and only Ponta Pilani. Good morning this morning, madam. Morning, Manza. How are you? I should be asking you, how are you this morning? Well, I'm What <laughs> Was it easy to wake up? Well, I'm always up before 4 a.m. anyway, so it wasn't very difficult for me to wake up. But it was just difficult to wake my voice up because I usually don't talk until probably 6 o'clock or something. But why would you want to wake up at uh, 4 o'clock when you can afford to wake up at 7? Because, you know, in life there are people who are lax and who are out. So people who are out are more productive in the evening than late night when people like me who are lax or early risers are productive in the early morning. And so I, as a journalist and a writer, I write data um, and I concentrate data in the early hours of the morning. So after many years of kind of battling with the kind of 9 to 5 slumps, you know, like where I felt like after 12 o'clock, like 12 noon, I can't really work. I've decided to kind of adjust my life to what feels natural to my body. And what feels natural to my body is to start my day earlier and to end it very early as well. So I'm usually asleep at 9, 9 p.m., 8 p.m. So you don't go out much, do you? <laughs> no. What is going on? What is going on? I mean, like, so, like, going out to clubs or what? I do go out. I just don't go out late at night. I'm thinking now, somebody like you, probably going out for you is like 4 o'clock when people are going, what, what do they call these things um, at bars where you get free drinks? Sundowners. Sundowners, yes. And happy hour. You go happy hour and you go home and that's when most people are getting started. Yeah, I prefer that way. Like a few of like, people in my life would want to do a late dinner and I'm like, you know, at 9 o'clock I'm going to want to sleep. So... <laughs> Yeah, so I adjust my life around what feels natural to my body. It's not always easy to do that because life happens. There are deadlines, you have to work extra hours. But I try to sleep when my body's tired, and my body's usually tired at 8, 9 p.m. Does it also Even happen? On the I was just going to ask if it happens on the weekend. Oh, it's very clever. Yeah. It keeps a slim timetable. <laughs> no, even like on the set, like this whole long weekend. I was waking up at about four, latest, maybe half past four, five. So yeah, it's just my body. I'm just thinking now, if you are in a relationship or married, your partner has got to make some major adjustments. So hopefully they're not the grumpy type like us. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's always good to find people who have the same characteristics as you to help make life easier. <laughs> I'm thinking, ah, baby, ah, no, no. <laughs> we must have a meeting about this early wake up, man. I can Now, I mean, you are an alma mater, Vets University, where everything happens. Yes, so I've I spent about 10 years having a relationship with this. Still continuous now. Started there in 2010. As a chemical engineering student, I dropped out two years later because I just didn't feel like chemical engineering was something that 
resonated with me. Um, and then I didn't know what to do, but I, you know, I, I was in a space where I was like, okay, I don't know what to do, but this is definitely not it. So what I did is I enrolled for a junior PGA at that where I So I started to sound again and then graduated, then graduated again, and then graduated again last year. So I have three degrees from this. My honors, my, I mean, my undergrad, my honors, and my master's degree. And soon, hopefully, a PhD. <laughs> Are you working on it right now? Well, I'm working on a proposal, and I'm, I'm battling with slight um, imposter syndrome around if I will be able to do a PhD. I know I can, like mentally, like I think I can, but it's just, it's scary. And also talking to other like people in my life who have, who are pursuing a PhD or have, who have their PhDs already. It's quite a grueling process. You know, it's like running, it's the, it's the, I think it's the, the mind or the academic thing of running the comrades. So you can imagine how, yeah, it's scary. So I'm psyching myself up, but hopefully I will have begun by the beginning of next year. Yeah, because, I mean, looking at what you've done so far and done so well, the word scared sir, doesn't begin to, to you know, to matter. <laughs> I can see that yeah, in you. I think being scared is a good thing, you know. Um, I love the times with everything that, I've achieved, like, even from dropping out of chemical engineering and pursuing, um, like, something I didn't know. I was scared. Scared for many years. Um, I was scared, you know, into Africa. We see it all the time on social media. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So many people are unemployed. So I was I was scared. I was scared to, to, to do that, but I did it nonetheless with my fear there. And... Um, I think sometimes it's the fear that also propels uh, people to, like, or me to, to kind of do things because I'm like, okay, I'm scared, but I'm scared because something bigger is on the other side. So I'm going to do it. So the African-speaking community, when they say, you understand that? <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> now, by the way, congratulations in order for the awards that you keep collecting, ma'am. How? <laughs> Thank you so much. You chat a ball pen and the, the typewriter and your laptop, they churn out stories that resonate with a whole lot of people. I mean, the, the, the story about uh, sanitary pairs, also congrats, congratulations that uh, that proposal you made to Parliament has become effective this month. Am I correct? Yes, you know, um, when it comes to thinking about, like, the sanitary pads uh, campaign that I thought I was doing my honors year, it was in the middle of uh, Feed My Souls, which I was covering at this, in October 2015. Yes. And just to see how far we've come, it started off as just this idea, you know, uh, with in partnership with Liberty Africa. And, um, you know, it was... I was I remember, like, just in between covering Fees Once Fall, which was almost a full time, a 24 hour gig. In, like, you remember, if you guys remember, 20, you know, like, Fees uh, Once Fall at the beginning, I was almost on, like, Advert's campus for 18 hours a day. But in between that, I needed to get time to do the research, write the proposal, work with the people from Liberty. Um, especially Charlene Clark in like editing it, getting it to Parliament, 
and having parliament um, postponed for almost a year before I actually got to be presented in parliament. And then it was developed, it was it was being uh, used in conjunction with other research from other activists and civil society organizations to create the Sanitary Dignity Program through the Department of Women. And just to see this, you know, like I, I was in the office last year when Gutombo Wini announced it in his budget speech, right? Like it's in midterm budget speech. I wasn't even listening to the budget speech. I was, and I just remember people sending me SMSs. They're like, dude, pads are going to be very, very from next year. April, can you believe it? And yeah, it, it, it's actually quite unbelievable, you know, and um, it just shows that when individuals and like civil society, you know, civil society is very important in South Africa. When when we work together and when we put pressure on the government individually and as a collective, because what helps with the sanitary uh, project can, um, kind of like activism is that we worked also with Amanda.Mobi, who, and we asked for petitions and signatures from uh, ordinary South Africans, you know, to be like, this issue is important. And in conjunction with reporting on it as a journalist, you know, these two things. And then I think it's the impact is, um, the impact is, anim- like, I didn't think this would be the result. This is what, this is what I would, I hoped for. I didn't think I would, we would actually you must be very satisfied i agree with you this is the kind of activism we need around a whole lot of things i wonder if the next thing would be to deal with pit toilets particularly in schools and communities in general because that's a pressing issue as well no definitely you know there's so many i mean south africa is a great country but we are like we have so many challenges right sanitation is an issue that you know, as a health reporter, I'm also quite um, um, interested in, you know, what are the, uh, and there's been a lot of research and even protests. We you know Section 27, for instance, last year with the two cases, the one in Eastern Cape and obviously the very well acclaimed, or famous rather infamous case of um, Michael Gomadi, who died in a pit of gene at school yes. in Limpopo province, you know. And Lumka, uh, uh, also another child called Lumka, I forgot his name now, also in um, Eastern Cape, who died the same fate, you know. And so we need to ask ourselves, um, or ask our government rather, and hold our government accountable, especially now, almost uh, like less than two weeks, three years, on how they are going to change the status quo for young South Africans, children, women, you know, some of the most marginalized people in our society. We need to really ask ourselves that. We need to interrogate them. And we need, I, I personally think that we need to go to the voting polls with that interrogation and with the issues that matter to us individually being at the forefront of the vote that we passed on, on the 8th of May. I'm loving the way you describe your kind of journalism. Journalism with a solution or solution-based journalism. Yes, so um, the kind of journalism that, like, uh, that we kind of do at Healthy and at in health journalism in general, and what I used to do also when I was at the CISA is solution-based journalism. So it's not only talking about the problem, it's also talking about the solutions that 
as a community, local government or NGOs are, are implementing in the communities that have a problem. So, for instance, um, let's say, like, for example, if one of your listeners is in a rural community somewhere and they're running a project where they are getting rid of refugees in that community, you know, we would, I would write a story about the fact that, you know, toilets are a problem in South Africa for water and sanitation and health issues. However, a small project in this community is doing this to kind of alleviate the issues in that community. And so it's, it's, it's not necessarily what sometimes gets confused or conflated with good news journalism where you're not critical. You are critical, but you're saying you're offering solutions or you're informing readers about what is being done to solve existing problems. And sometimes it's not possible to write like that, right? Sometimes things are so horrible, you just need to write as they are. But solution-based journalism helps us, or helps me as a writer, reimagine a world that is not just messed um, up or things around. Yeah. Um, because I, I, you know, with your work with Pegasisa, which means, you know, take a closer look, you've done quite a lot of work there, uh, for which, uh, you know, your, your peers, uh, the industry, the health industry and social welfare industry, I think, have respected you and appreciated you with the awards. Um, the, the story you wrote about a lady who had to travel 500 kilometers to find a suitable school for an autistic child, just to move from there um, to say, when you look at, particularly in the townships, ne? Mm-hmm. how many children present with autistic characteristics who are not at school, who are not being catered for, who are so vulnerable, they get at you abused because autism is a spectrum, you know, affects mm. people differently, who probably run the risk of being abused, cannot report, cannot say what happens to them until it's too late, don't have the opportunity to be in a school or in an environment where their peers are for them to develop in such things. Mm-hmm. And take it from there to say, the normal schools we have, can't we have a health practitioner who will say when children are admitted, let's assess them to see as to whether they have HDD or autism or whatever other challenge so that they can be placed in the right places mm-hmm. very early as opposed to picking up a condition that a child has when they're like 12 years old and there's so much that uh, needs to be done to catch up. Yeah, no, you know, Monday, it takes takes quite a while in South Africa for children to be diagnosed with uh, autism uh, autism spectrum disorder, right? And part of the problem is, I remember that story quite well because I struggled with it so much, trying to find statistics about how many, what is the prevalence rate, what is the, like how many children or how many people in South Africa are living with autism. You know, those statistics are not possible, are not, are not available at the moment, you know. And um, that's why I think I found one study that, that, did, uh, that looked at autism in sub-Saharan Africa. But there's a lack of uh, research and possibly resources into autism in, 
in in South Africa, and I'll, I I did say in Africa as a whole. So before we even talk about you know what should should there be a medical procedure with all children that maybe present with having kind of like a learning difficulty or development difficulty should should be examined at school. How can we do that when we don't even have the research that shows us what how 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 many or the rate of autism in our country, you know. Mm. So I think we need to start there and and then work our way up and take more you know, there's a saying that how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I think this is one of the ways like for me as a health journalist who relies a lot on science Mm. to be able to write the stories that I write, like I need the science. I think the science is needed, not just for me, but also for the medical practitioners as well. Yes. Communities to yes. be aware, to understand it, and also to kind of make sure that we have 11 official languages in South Africa. Are we trying to find the language to talk about autism, Kaswana, in Isuzumi, in Istosa, in Chivenda, you know, so that um, everyone, uh, people, particularly in rural uh, communities and villages can understand and maybe be able to pick up the signs that something um, atypical might be happening with their children or their nephews in the house. Also, just to add on there, before I tell you about who's listening, uh, Bonzo, um, particularly medical staff, because what I've observed is that uh, parents with children with autism, when children have got to go to a medical facility, whether they're going for dental checkups and whatever, a majority Mm -hmm. of the medical staff do not know how to treat particularly children with autism, and therefore sometimes some of them don't get treated because the fears children with autism have are different to the fears that you and I have. Just to say medical staff need to be trained uh, in order to give children with people with autism for that matter the right care because after time they never get that far because people just give up on them and they label them you know how it goes no definitely i mean it, it goes back to awareness and knowledge right and and um you see like uh, organizations like autism south africa doing like a lot of work and trying to how parents get diagnosis for their children, like parents who don't necessarily have the means to to go to a private doctor to do the, the diagnostic test, you know. And I think you're right, you know, medical practitioners also need, it's not just a parent or community thing. People uh, that, like medical practitioners, nurses and doctors, have to be equipped in knowing how to deal with autistic people or people living with autism when they come to when they when they come to for medical attention that is outside of the disorder that is very correct and important. Awesome belief and in that awareness, the education department because there's a whole lot of children who are autistic who are not in school, and when parents say hey, we need a school in this particular area because most of them even in the in South Africa have to travel on average sixty seventy kilometers one way to get to a school at great Mm. expense some that i know personally to get to a school they have to leave home at quarter past five 
to come back mm. at half past five in the afternoon. They have a day like somebody who works, and obviously they have their challenges, they're confined, they're irritable, as opposed to if you are in Ekurulene, for instance, you can have a school in Jemistin that is easy to access for people in Gatlehong and Fosloras, as opposed mm. to having somebody from Fosloras who has to travel to Parktown to yeah. go to school. You know what I mean? Yes, no, uh, definitely, definitely. I think those are some of the challenges. But I know you'll you put pen to paper, Sissi, and do your magic. Mandisa <laughs> uh, M9 is listening uh, on Twitter. She says, I'm listening to my favorite girl, Chesa Bebeza. Also, at Spore underscore Rose is listening to the show. Says, guess That's who's my up? boss. Ah, is that your boss? <laughs> Yes, she's the CEO of Health is where I work now. Hello, now, boss. How are you? newly appointed CEO. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you had a one on one with her? <laughs> we have, we have. <laughs> okay, that's all right. That's all right. I think it went well. If your boss wakes up in the morning to check on you, that's cool. That's cool. He's also an early riser. You see, early risers are successful people. I'm joking. <laughs> you you can wake up at any time and be successful. <laughs> you guys are in the same WhatsApp group. I can imagine you up early. She's up early. It's like, girl, what are you up to? What can we talk about in the <laughs> office? <laughs> <laughs> also, Donald Mamboma says, uh, you're sounding good as always. Uh, he, she, he loves what you're doing. Uh, Amandisa says, morning, may you please tell Ponsa that we thank her for writing important stories about health, especially for women. May whatever she inspires, she aspires to be forever. And uh, Tsapa at uh, Tsapa MB says, please tell a labor register to leave AMCO alone. It is the only union that that still speaks for work <laughs> issues, workers' issues. So, Bonzo, yes, obviously, okay. besides you being an early riser, but what, what gets you out of bed? Deadlines. <laughs> yeah? No, oh, yes, deadlines. I'm kidding. But what gets me out of bed is just the excitement of wanting to, like, finish a story, write a story, or build or fix something or problem solve. And I know it sounds nerdy and cheesy, but like, honestly, like sometimes I'm even like I wake up in the middle of the night because I'm dreaming of work and I'm, I'm dreaming of my stories. So I wake up and like, I'll make a mental note about something and then try to go back to sleep. But that's what gets me up, just life. And I enjoy what I do. Um, both professionally and uh, personally. So I enjoy my life. So I enjoy just waking up to be me. It's, it's really great to be me and I enjoy it. Because you were able to say, hey, the science is uh, not really what resonates with you. You want to tell the stories that are never told and you want people to discern information that works for them and therefore get solutions for people who haven't found their calling yet the people who mm. either are wasting time waiting for it to come to them and people who are on the move trying to get there what would you say to them so i don't believe that if you don't know your calling or purpose that you're wasting time right i think that there's this concept from a very nerdy movie called watchmen uh about thermodynamic miracles you know things so impossible to happen that they actually happen and I think that timing is a big part of kind of uh, following your dreams and your purpose. So sometimes you will get that nudge, but 
the, the, you don't have the conviction to follow the nudge. And I think that's okay. You know, we do live in a capitalist system where you have to pay rent, you have to, you know, buy groceries, buy bread, uh, budget for your, your, your transport if you're using taxis. You understand? So sometimes this, I, I was actually reading this article two days ago about, uh, or yesterday, last night in, in bed, I'm not sure, around, um, you know, the idea of follow your passion sometimes can be detrimental or harmful to people and how we, we put it, especially in a society that works like ours, not just in South, in South Africa, but in globally, where people have bills, people have families. Like in South Africa, we talk about black tax, you know. So you ca- can I be telling uh, the first person to get to university in their family, Korea, they must leave chemical engineering or they must leave whatever course they're doing to follow their dream. There was a lot of privilege that also allowed me as Ubuntu to be able to, to, to quote-unquote, follow my dreams. I'm a last of four. My parents were stable. My siblings were working, you know, and the environment was fertile enough to let me take the leap of faith. And I think it's, I always tell people, because sometimes in the world of um, the motivational speakers and kind of like selling dreams to people, I always, I'm always quite honest about the fact that I was put in a, I was in a position to do it because not only am I brilliant, which I do not deny, but because I also had an ecosystem of support, financial support, and for my family in many instances. But I also got bursaries uh, or small scholarships. I worked a part-time job. I had friends who would feed me and buy me groceries when I didn't have food because, you know. And so I think my my kind of like message to people who want to follow their dreams and find their purpose is that make sure that um, the worldly things or the material things have been taken care of as well because, um, yes, it's good to take a leap of faith, but take a leap of faith knowing that you ha- the faith has to also be in the support system that will support you emotionally and financially. You so, know, yeah. You know, you and I can talk the whole day. Yes, we because would. <laughs> we've barely started, ne? Yes, we've barely started. We've barely started. And it's only, it's not even 5 a.m. yet. <laughs> and uh, we, we have to wrap up. But yes, uh, yes. I, I, I must say, Bonzo, um I, I liked it when you talked about honesty. I wanted to ask you, you know, journalists get into trouble now and again. You're a journalist. Mm-hmm. You're a solution-based journalist. I was wondering if you don't get into trouble with medical aid companies. You don't get into trouble with clinics and hospitals. Or hey, Why did you write that story when you actually are exposing something that which you're going to help with the solution? Of what I you expose, in, I do get into trouble, like uh, all the not all the time, but you know, you kind of make some people, you ruffle some feathers here and there. For instance, I got into trouble, uh, quote unquote, trouble last year for a story where I went undercover into an anti-abortion uh, counseling center. I pretended to be pregnant, and uh, I recorded the end of the, the session to show that. Uh, what these people are doing is trying to uh, manipulate young women into not getting pregnancy. And I got into a lot of troubles with Christians, with religious people, and with other people who believe that 
abortion is wrong. Let me jump in there. Cook any hello. Apologies. Can we no, have no, round no. two sometime? Let's have round two. You yeah. have my number. You're a rock star. Rorata Kalarato la seven colors. Have yourself. <laughs> ah, you hit me. I'm going home. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Power to your pen in your hands and uh, keep on keeping on. And uh, you and your boss have that meeting and have a cuppa on us and have a fabulous Thursday. Thank you so much. Thank you, Manza. Have a great day. Lovely. Thank you. Ponzo Pilani, award-winning health journalist. She talks about solutions-based journalism and a whole lot more. Thanks to you for tuning in. Thanks to Ponzo. Thanks to my team, Zelma and Stanza Baraka. It's five o'clock now. It's time to hand over to Nomsam Lulu with the news on SAFM. And of course, it's going to be First Take SA with Elvis Preslin. Have a great day. God bless.